Hey guys, I'm Ella. I'm an English major and a freshman, and you're listening to Live Greener Fry. I'm Alex. I'm a freshman environmental conservation and sustainability major. I'm Bella. I'm a freshman, and I'm in uh, mechanical engineering. I'm Ellie. I'm a genetics major, and I am also a freshman. Okay, so this episode will be structured a little bit differently. Um, we're going to split it into two parts. I'm going to give a brief background on the history of modern environmental activism, and then we are going to do an interview with Jordan, who's our classmate and an environmental activist with the New Hampshire Youth Movement. Hello, my name's Jordan. I'm a sophomore sociology major. Okay, so just getting right into it. Scientists have warned us for years, and now it's finally happening. We're in the sixth period of mass extinction. California is on fire, natural disasters are increasing in intensity, and by some accounts, the Earth is predicted to reach 113 degrees Fahrenheit by 2099. The UN strongly stresses that we only have 10 years until the effects of climate change are irreversible. Despite the plethora of information available, proving that our world as we know it is in grave danger, little has been done, particularly in America, to address the threat. On a national level, many politicians have argued the threat of climate change is a non-issue, and that hysteria over it will hurt our economy. While there seems to be a lack of concern in our government, there has been a rise in public concern and a corresponding interest in environmental activism. Activist groups have formed on nearly every level, grassroots local groups, national organizations, and even global movements. From big foundations like the Sierra Club, down to roadside protests, or even a single person switching to a metal straw, people are taking action in large numbers. Historically, environmental activist groups have taken to protests and other attention-grabbing um, demonstrative measures to raise awareness to their <coughs> ideas. In the beginning, strategies were based on more of a personal level, where specific people would act on their beliefs. Direct protests were used to bring attention to harmful policies and projects. Uh, it later turned to more public education, media campaigns, community-directed activities, and conventional lobbying of policymakers and political representatives. Moving forward to the 21st century, activists combined traditional concerns with more modern <coughs> concerns of environmental consequences of economic practices. Adding to that, people began working with corporations and big businesses to further their campaign. Something worthy of mentioning is that many of these groups and movements that have recently gained media attention are powered by young people, particularly high school and college-age students. Greta Thunberg has gained global attention as the face of the climate strike movement. At only 16 years recently, gave a compelling speech, that's okay, to the United Nations, in which she chastised world leaders for destroying the world and for leading young people with the irreparable aftermath. She shouted, how dare you, at these leaders, visibly furious and holding back tears. Talk show pundits and conservative politicians have zeroed in on Greta, arguing she is too young, too immature, and that she has no idea that she's what she's talking about. However, a global movement of young people who look to Greta as their leader would disagree. They argue that yes, they are too young to be focused on these issues, but that's the point. Like Greta, they should be enjoying their youth, but due to the threats facing their generation, this is no longer an option. And while Greta is making international headlines, really bringing attention to the rise in recent environmental activist efforts, we also want to stress that indigenous and black environmental activists are doing extremely important work that often goes unnoticed. Um, at least 1,558 environmental defenders in 50 states were killed between 2002 and 2017. Four people die every week. Four people die, excuse me, every week in 2017, protecting their land, water, and local wildlife. Greta has helped to create a mass movement of young people, but she hasn't done it alone. Okay, so now we're going to get into the um, interview and discussion part of this episode. 
So Jordan, if you just want to give another brief introduction. <laughs> uh, yeah, so my name's Jordan. I am a sophomore sociology major. Um, I am an environmental activist in my personal life and also with the Hampshire Youth Movement. Um, yeah. Do you want to expand on what specifically is the New Hampshire Youth Movement? Yeah, so we're a movement of young people from New Hampshire dealing with massive student debt, skyrocketing healthcare costs, the fear of losing our homes and way of life due to climate change, and economic inequality from decades of neoliberal capitalistic policies. Our leaders in the state legislature have failed time and time again to address the issues that young people care about. Um, and we recognize that young people have immense power. For example, we're going to be the largest uh, voting bloc. Um, youth are going to be the largest voting bloc in this upcoming election, um, which has never happened before. So we have incredible political power and we want to use it. Um, through strategic direct action and organizing, we're reclaiming the political system to work for us. Uh, our main issues are um, working towards Medicare for all, free college for all, and a Green New Deal. Um, so yeah, that's great. Um, in what ways do you personally participate in environmental activism? So I'm a vegan, um, <laughs> and one of the biggest reasons that I chose to do that was uh, because I learned uh, that animal agriculture produces more greenhouse gas emissions than all forms of transportation combined. I watched a documentary called Cowspiracy that addressed the fact that a lot of big uh, environmental organizations like Greenpeace, for example, were purposefully ignoring um, animal agriculture's impact um, on climate change. Um, for example, the USDA, something like seven out of 10 of the people on the board have financial ties to the dairy industry. <laughs> so we definitely have a corrupt system that um, doesn't want to address uh, things like that. I know we are starting to, mm -hmm. um, and because of documentaries like Cowspiracy. Um, so that's one of the ways that I am an environmental activist in my in my own uh, life. I also try to be like low waste, um, which is something that's really hard to do. But um, I definitely try to do you know whatever I can, whatever's available to me. And just moving back to um, the vegan aspect of that, yeah. um, do you think that? it's easy on like a college campus to be mm -hmm. vegan like is or is it like is it harder than or is it made to seem harder than it actually is like yeah I think that's a good point because I think looking back I think it was much harder for me to be like an omnivore because it made me really sick for one um but last year I lived on campus so I would eat vegan food at the dining hall and it was like all right you know I could make it work uh, luckily now I live off campus and I love to cook so I can cook my own food mm -hmm. and, and it's, a lot, it's a lot easier now but um, it is sort of a choice that you have to make to you know to be vegan on campus um, there's definitely hacks and you know a lot of different microwave meals you can make in your dorm and stuff like that so you know if you want to make it work and, and put in the effort um, you know we'd be able to mm -hmm. do you guys have anything to I have a question um, so like I feel like some people, when they talk about becoming like a vegan, um, they say that like the dietary restrictions, like they can't do it because they don't get enough protein. Or yeah. like, how do you think people can combat that? Like, do you think some people really can't be vegan because of the dietary restrictions, or do you think they just need to like be more educated and fill their diet with different mm -hmm. types of things? 
probably the latter. I think that I generally tend to think that like everybody has the ability to go vegan. I think I've only come across like maybe like one person who like really couldn't because I forget why. And I understand people who, you know, who have eating disorders. Like it's not good to restrict food ever. Mm -hmm. um, so what I always say is like when you go vegan, instead of restricting and taking things away, make sure that you're adding those new things. For example, you can get all the nutrients you possibly need that you get from an omnivorous diet in a vegan diet besides B12, which is a, a different conversation. Um, but we know that you can get protein from, uh, you know, a, a wide range of um, plant-based foods. And um, so, you know, it is, I think it is possible for most people. Yeah, I even know, I have a lot of friends who are athletes and who are vegans yeah. or ve vegetarian. And I feel like yeah. that's something, that's a, a, an endeavor where you really need a protein. And if they can do it, yeah. I feel like anybody can. Like, they exactly. must be getting their protein somewhere. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like some people do it. Like, people, I feel like when people become vegan, people that do it for, like, to be, I don't know, some people do it to be trendy, and they don't, yeah. they're not educated enough in an aspect where they try right. to cut it immediately, and, and they can't, sick. yeah, and they yeah. can't, and then that's when they, they actually feel the physical effects of it, yeah. whereas when people do it for more of, like, like, like you're doing the greenhouse gas emissions, and, right. like, that's when people are more educated, and they can kind of ease mm -hmm. themselves into being. It's definitely one of those things that you have to like, you have to unlearn the idea that like animal product, like animal flesh and, and byproducts are good for us or that they're sustainable um, because we are taught that like, you know, we're supposed to have milk however many times a day and we're supposed to eat meat and it's just, it's normal. Real men eat meat. You know, there's all these different norms around eating meat that you have to unlearn just like unlearning anything else that has sort of been conditioned into you. Um, so it takes some reading and, and work. Um, but it's definitely doable, and once you do it, I think most people feel really, really good, feel a lot better. Um, shifting back to the New Hampshire youth movement, yeah. um, can you just speak a little bit to what impact it has on the UNH campus, or if any? Yeah, so the work we do is mostly at like a state and I guess federal level, um, but on campus, I'm just trying to think of examples. So we're doing, um, pledge to vote cards, so we're just trying to get as many people from UNH just to get out and vote, no matter who you're voting for. Um, like I said before, we're going to be the, the largest voting block, so we want to make sure, you know, we get out there and have our voices heard. Um, because like I said before, one of the tenets of New Hampshire Youth Movement is that we recognize that our leaders, specifically in New Hampshire and the state legislature, <laughs> don't, um, they don't really work for us. And, you know, they're typically old, and they all kind of look the same, mm -hmm. and... <laughs> So that's, we're, you know, we're trying, we do work in electoral politics to try to get leaders that reflect our values. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I'm trying to, we don't really do things on UNH. I think there are UNH environmental um, groups like SEEK and- Do you like, like are, are you like organized on like a campus level though? Like, is this the UNH chapter exactly, or yeah. like something like So that? we have hubs. So we have one in, at UNH, we have okay. one in, at Keene State. We have one in like Manchester Concord. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we really have young people all around the state um, doing work. Yeah. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting because a lot of times, like obviously it's college age, mm -hmm. but I think it's interesting that it's not like a college associated right. thing, if that makes sense. And that it's really like the youth, like taking the individual action. Like that, yeah. I don't know, that's, that's really interesting to me mm -hmm. that it's not necessarily like a, trying to make change on the school level, but more right. like beyond. Yeah, something else that I really like about the movement is that we're like nonpartisan, I think is the correct word. Like we don't, we're not affiliated with a party. Right. Our values naturally tend to like 
um, align with Democrats. Mm -hmm. But like, like I was telling you all before, before we started recording, that um, both parties have been bought out by special interests, particularly with climate change. Um, and so we recognize that, and we know that neither party is going to save us, um, and that we need to sort of either we need to make the parties and you know people in power represent our values because um, we have that power. You know. Mm -hmm. I have a question. How did you like hear about it? How did you get involved? Um, or when did you start becoming involved? Yeah. So I guess it was only last semester. So like in the spring, um, I think I just went to a meeting, which they're um, they're usually on Thursday nights in the mob. Usually at six thirty. I wish I could give you a room number, um, but we do family dinners like every other week and. We had a birthday party the other day, yeah. so we haven't had a meeting in a while. But, um, you know, if anyone wants to join, you could go to our website, newhampshiresmovement.com, probably Google it. Um, and we'll put, that, we'll put that link in yeah, the description. Yeah. Um, all right, so you just talked a little bit more about how students at UNH can get involved in your organization. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask a little bit about, I think a lot of the time we kind of feel afraid when having these conversations mm -hmm. and they can be like depressing. Yeah. I hate to use that term because it's right. like a really serious issue, but like I know just even being in an environmental class related to environmental issues, I have a lot of friends taking similar classes mm -hmm. and like our general consensus is that they really like bum us out. Like yeah, you know no, what I mean? I totally agree. So like I just want to ask like how can we stay pop like what's your mindset yeah. involving this? Like should we yeah. should we be afraid what like, what, how should we be feeling, basically? I don't want to say how everyone else should be feeling. I know, feeling. like, maybe, like, no, I know you, you like, can you speak yeah. to you specifically? Yeah, so I know that I definitely am very scared, and I think that's normal. I think it's natural to feel scared as we're literally in the sixth mass extinction. That's terrifying that we happen to exist at this time. It, like, blows my <laughs> mind. But, um, yeah, and it's also very depressing uh, because I think the most depressing part is that our leaders are not acting and that they're so our system is so tainted with corruption and money that we can't really um, act. But what I tend to tell people when they're feeling like this is that you feel a lot better when you do something about it, when you join a group like New Hampshire Youth Movement. Um, there's plenty of other environmental groups also that we work closely with. But, um, you know, engaging in direct action and putting pressure on politicians and getting out and talking to people in the community, uh, you know, just raising consciousness about the issue really takes a lot of the pain away because not only do you find, like, camaraderie and solidarity with the people you're in the movement with but you also like have purpose and you feel like you're contributing to mm -hmm. the solution as opposed to being complicit in right. it. Um, just to shift the conversation in a little bit of a different direction, um, I know that you specifically and the New Hampshire Youth Movement are very involved in advocating for the Green New Deal. Mm -hmm. Um, you want to just want to like elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah. So the Green New Deal is a comprehensive ten-year body of legis uh, legislative proposals that work to transform every aspect of American society uh, to 100% clean and renewable energy by 2030. Uh, in the process of that, um, there's also going to be a green jobs guarantee. It also works to address the vast economic and racial inequality that has. Um, you know, resulted from decades of inaction by our politicians. And um, so we are going to achieve the Green New Deal, like I said before, by putting pressure on politicians, um, especially like a, a president. We want a Green New Deal champion um, to win the primary and then take home the election in 2020 because our lives and the biodiversity mm -hmm. of the earth literally depend on it. Um, 
and you know we do that through direct action. So we'll stage sit-ins, um, you know, at politicians' offices, or we'll. Um, I'm trying to think of, of certain. I, things I think recently, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong on yeah. this, but um, members of the New Hampshire youth movement protested when Joe Biden came to New Hampshire. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't. I didn't get to go to that one, but I forget. Yeah, I think they. I think they did an action on, you know, his weak climate plan. Um, we had previously done one on, on his um, immigration policy. But yeah, so one of the big things we do is direct candidate engagements. So that's basically just, you know, when politicians come to town, we go to their events and we try to record ourselves asking them like a, a tough question. Um, and the other thing we do is we, we talked about this in the previous episode, but we've um, gotten a lot of politicians to sign the no fossil fuel pledge, um, basically them promising not to take fossil fuel money. Um, and there are a few candidates that still are. However, there are a lot that are not and that are actually running grassroots campaigns, which is awesome. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like Bernie Sanders, <clears throat> I think Liz Warren. Um, so in a previous episode of Live Green or Fry, um, we discussed the Green New Deal in relation to the ways in which certain Democratic candidates supported it. Mm -hmm. And um, we kind of had a discussion about how some candidates feel as though they support what the Green New Deal stands for, but not necessarily mm -hmm. the Green New Deal itself, and then like for a variety of reasons. Um, do you, like, I just, like, what are your opinions on that? What do you think? Yeah, I think what I like about the Green New Deal is that it treats climate change as a crisis, which is exactly what it is. Um, and I think that the people that don't support it don't necessarily see climate change as a crisis or don't see it as their top issue. Um, or like I was saying before, they maybe are like, you know, ha are being purchased by special interests by the fossil fuel industry. Um, Joe Biden's working with the super PAC, which means we don't know um, necessarily like who, who the money is coming from, who's behind his ads. He very well may be being supported you know, by someone who profits off of this climate crisis. So I think that's a lot of the part of the reason why politicians aren't um, necessarily coming out with bold Green New Deal plans, or they're kind of coming out half in support of it, um, because they're not willing to treat this crisis as a crisis. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the young people, at least the young people in the New Hampshire Youth Movement, we need someone who, like, on day one is going to do something and, and work to, to get the Green New Deal passed. Um, yeah. Do you guys have anything on that? No. Um, so, I just want to talk a little bit more about um, the influx of youth advocacy mm -hmm. and how I don't think necessarily. I mean, I might not. I might be wrong because I wasn't really politically active in like 2008 and like you know when like Obama was getting elected. But we were eight. Exactly. <laughs> um, but just, do you think this is like a really recent thing? And like, what do you think is really contributing to that? I don't know, because part of me wants to say, like, yeah, this this is a recent thing. But like you were saying in the intro, like, we know that, like, indigenous activists, mm -hmm. all different types of activists, environmental activists, have been doing this work for decades now. And that's that's my problem with the, the whole OK Boomer thing. It's because, like, there are old boomers who have been doing this work for a while, and we've been inspired by them. And I just think that's an interesting, interesting point to note. But... I don't know. I mean, I think Greta Greta Thunberg did really um, inspire a lot of people with her climate strikes, um, and it's amazing how many how many young people are, are getting involved in these strikes and, yeah. and missing school and and it's really sad though that 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 um, I love it though I love that young people are are becoming 
more active maybe than previous generations, but it's sad. They should, you know, Greta, Greta Thunberg should be in school. Sad's come to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then yeah. this is just post for the group. Anyone can answer this. Like, I just want to talk a little bit more, have a discussion mm-hmm. about <clears throat> the ways in which we're seeing, like, youth advocacy really manifesting on, mm-hmm. like, a lot of different levels. Um, I feel like <clears throat> youth have been advocating for a very long time, and, like, it's been kind of different things over, like, decades. Mm-hmm. Um, like, say, I mean, obviously, like, this is really far away, like, long time ago, but, like, um, during the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. like, students were advocating against being involved. Right. So it was, like, they were able to have a voice and um, have the vision and advocate against this, the Vietnam mm-hmm. War back then. And so I feel like now it's kind of interesting to see how people are now, like this is the topic that most most advocates, like youth, youths are advocating for, like right. against climate change. And I think it's also interesting to note that like, it's not just the youth who mm-hmm. are like advocating for these issues. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, like there's a lot of organizations that are working for it and a lot of different types of movements. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's interesting is that a lot of the attention is going towards youth movements, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I think a lot of um, politicians or talk show hosts like specifically are really zeroing in on youth-led movements. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that's like necessarily like for positive reasons or like what are your feelings about that? I tend to think, yeah. so I think that when the news, like when the mass media covers something, it's because they don't really see it as a threat anymore. So for example, um, with the Dakota Access Pipeline protests, like they did not necessarily film the people that were like putting their bodies in front of the in front of the pipeline, um, and they choose not to cover indigenous leaders, black environmental leaders. And I think that the reason that the media has sort of chosen to like prop up Greta Thunberg is because she's like socially palatable. Like she mm-hmm. represents like. I don't know. I don't know if you if you sort of see what I'm what I'm getting. Yeah, at. I, absolutely. I remember seeing an article about how um, people were, I guess, I mean, criticizing in a way that she was the only person because there's so many activists. I remember reading and it was talking about how there was like indigenous <coughs> activists that were going against like um, fracking yeah. in on their lands, and mm-hmm. so they were asking like these activists like, how do you feel about Greta becoming such a figure? And they did touch on the fact that it was kind of like media's, as you said, like showing people that are palatable, I guess, for the public. And but they appreciate at the same time like what she's going right. after. Yeah. It's not her problem that it's right. not her fault that the media is putting the limelight on her. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's that we have a huge issue with well, we don't want to show the people that are like different than us, so like right. we can't like, we can't show person. them. <laughs> We can't show them like that other people, other like matter or are taking matters into their own hands for this. And I think a big reason why it like it's becoming such a big because I think you, you mentioned we're such a big voter block in this next coming election. And I think it kind of scares some of the politicians. Like they have to like address it and kinda like throw mud on it mm-hmm. to like because I think they're a little scared because we do have a lot of power and they don't like it when people they can't control have power. 
Right. And yeah. So something that they try to do, the Republican Party specifically, is like voter suppression laws. So whether that mm -hmm. takes the form of like gerrymandering, um, um, what's what's the other what's the other word? Redlining. No, no, that's, that's for housing, but it's, sim it's similar. Um, but then in New Hampshire, um, changing the definition of residency and and confusing student voters right. and what, what do ID I need to bring? Laws. Do I need to bring a voter ID? Do yeah. I need to have my car registration? And so something that New Hampshire Youth Movement did is we staged a sit-in at um, the State House in Sununu's office and then also Secretary of State Bill Gardner's office. And like 10 of us actually, including me, got arrested um, because they were not there and we basically just were staying there until they closed and then to basically make them make make a point and we got publicized and we got our message out which was great but that's an example of like direct action and how we use nonviolent, specifically nonviolent direct action um to put political pressure on on leaders and that's something that we're going to continue to do until we have a green new deal champion win in february do you just want to speak a little bit i mean this can be for anyone but yeah. her jordan specifically on um the importance or maybe like the differences of like violent versus nonviolent activism just because this, like, just to um, kind of zero in the conversation more on, like, traditional types of activism. Because mm -hmm. we've definitely seen youth-led <laughs> movements using, like, violence. Mm -hmm. And just, I don't know, I want to see, like, maybe necessarily your thoughts on it, what mm -hmm. the New Hampshire youth movement's thoughts are on it, whether or not. I want to be thoughtful because I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I'm the best person to speak on it. So. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe I can, I'll reword this. What are the benefits of nonviolent activism? Um, well, <laughs> the people that we're putting pressure on, they take us seriously. Um, you know, if we're to use violence, they would, they would not take us right. seriously. Um, I guess what I can sort of frame this to talk about is the spectrum of political support, which is something that we utilize a lot. And so people on the right would be like, for example, with climate change, people on the right are like, don't support it, don't believe in it, no. And then as you get towards the middle, it's like passive supporters, people that are kind of like sympathetic to your movement. Maybe they like your tweets, your organization tweets. And then people all the way on the left are people in the movement. Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do in movement organizing is get the people that are like in the middle and sort of over here to the left. Right. We're not trying to, we're not trying to, we're not going to play on their turf. And we're not going to say climate change is real because we know it's real. Mm -hmm. We're not going to. Um, waste our time trying to get people who don't believe in climate change or who or who support um, the private sector and who support the fossil fuel executives that are profiting off of, off of poisoning our, our earth. Um, we're not going to, you know, worry about them. We're going to focus on, on these people. And so we're going to use nonviolent direct action to get those people involved and get those people to show up at those protests and those sit-ins and those direct candidate engagements. Um, and yeah. yeah, yeah. So just like just for our listeners, the only reason mm -hmm. why I ask this, it might seem like a weird question, is just because, um, like, historically we have seen violence used by, um, like, environmentally based specifically movements, and, like, mm -hmm. that's kind of been coined as, like, eco-terrorism. Okay, yeah. Um, so just kind of wanted to gear the conversation a little bit more about, like, how environmental activists have specifically moved away from it because we don't really see that anymore. Mm -hmm. It was kind mm -hmm. of more of a phenomenon around like in the 90s and the mm -hmm. 80s. So that's just kind of where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. no. um, so you're a part of the New Hampshire youth movement mm -hmm. and um, you've indicated that that has a connection with the Sunrise movement. Yeah. Can you just speak a little bit to that? So Sunrise is similar to us in that it's all about like movement politics um, and putting pressure on political um, political leaders. 
but they're solely focused on climate change and their mission is to, you know, mobilize an army of young people to stop climate change and create millions of good jobs in the process. Um, so, you know, that includes like a just transition away from fossil fuels within 10 years, um, just meaning like um, we're not we're not putting blame on the workers that, are, that, that work in these industries because they need to support their families. Um, we're really concerned with the executives and the people that, um, you know, control and, and choose, to, choose to poison our air and water. But um, with that being said, we do have a relationship with them and we will do direct actions with them and um, just because they are a little bit more focused on climate. So when we do our actions, we'll work with them and we'll get materials and art from them, um, which is cool. Is this also a youth movement? Yeah, it's mostly, yeah, yeah, yeah it's young people. And they, they, they're the people that plan the climate strikes. Well, that some of sense. the climate strikes, because so there's one. Greta's climate strikes, but yeah. then there's Sunrise climate yeah. strikes. I can't ever remember which one's which, but I just know we're striking. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then, just to speak to that, would you say there's a lot of like collaboration between movements? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what it is, it's, it's kind of like a progressive coalition. So yeah. there's like another group we work with called 350NH. Um, I wish I could say specifically what, how they're different, but they're similar mm -hmm. in that they're trying, you know, trying to stop climate change. And um, one of the actions stated recently was, um, they, you know, they, they called it no, no gas, no coal. There's the largest um, coal plant in New Hampshire. It still, it still exists and, um, you know, it uses a ridiculous amount of energy when it's turned on, which is not that often. But... Um, you know, as a group, we're baffled that we're still burning coal. Mm. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, so they did, they, they did a direct action where they had a couple folks get arrested. Um, police showed up in like riot gear. It was really ridiculous. Yes, but, um, there. you were? Yeah, I oh, showed cool. up. Yeah. It was, tell us, it was you something. tell us how it was. <laughs> well, I couldn't go. So I, don't I actually went with a cup with my, uh, aunt and my stepmother nice. and, um, well, we drove up to this and, we're like, okay, so it's, we, we know, I'm kind of, I was a little bit unprepared for what it was because I went to the Sunrise Climate mm -hmm. Strike, and that's where I learned about this. Mm -hmm. And so I show up, and there's, a like, a police helicopter, like, flying around the air. I was like, oh, this is, so I think it was, it for me, it was very, like, motivating because it was like, these people are actually acknowledging that, this isn't like that they have power and yeah. they're like it was it was it was quite something i was very impressed by it and i want to get involved with them more in the so future. for our listeners where can we hear about these like strikes and like when everything's happening um, um well you know social media is a great place new hampshire youth movement on social media sunrise movement on social media 350nh.org mm -hmm. um is is what is a website but then also their um social media handles um what would you say i just am like thinking um like i think direct action sounds really interesting like yeah. it's it's a great cause but i feel like um how often do people get like arrested like i don't <laughs> like i feel like i would be interested in participating in that but i would be very nervous oh, about yeah. getting no, arrested you definitely don't have to get arrested that's a small, <laughs> that's a small part of what we do it's just kind of exciting i like to brag about it because <laughs> it Great, and it was, and it, and it feels, it feels cool, and it's, it's very, um, I, it works, it works because people see and they go, oh wow, look at these people, you know, really like, like getting the attention. risking arrest, right? Because they matter. Yeah. 
So yeah, there's only a handful of people that, that do get arrested at, at some of the actions. Yeah, I just a hundred percent. We never and the thing with direct action is that it's so organized and planned. It's not anything like a riot, you know, unplanned kind of demonstrations. It's a very planned, strategic thing where we have police liaisons and we have, you know, um, a communicator between between the person that we're going to see and and it's so planned that there's no risk of violence really or or um, of of getting arrested for something that you're not planning on getting arrested for. I just didn't understand, like, how police treat, like, sit-ins like that. Like, right. I, like when you're saying you got arrested, I didn't know if they just start arresting everybody in the area, or they just well, arrested yeah. people that were, like, <clears throat> I don't know, well, being I think, more argumentative, I guess. I think with us, we're, like, a mostly white, upper-middle-class movement, and so we get treated by the police very differently than, like, we some dare. indigenous and black activists, like... She was talking about in her intro, like, the thousands of people, 1,500 people that were killed between 2002 and 2017. I don't think that's necessarily in the United States. I think that's uh, in multiple countries. Or, or I, I believe that's multiple. Yeah. But still. Um, mm-hmm. But still, like, environmental activists, like, they're creating bills, actually, that would, like, make it illegal to protest pipelines. Like, that is ridiculous what? to me. <laughs> and so anti-Indigenous, it's, like, ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, the state, the government, um, you know, the private sector, they don't want us to be doing what we're doing. Um, They have known for over half a century now that their product causes climate change. Fossil fuel executives, they've known for so long now, and they've robbed an entire generation's worth of time to reverse the effects of their greed. And, like, we've even even read articles in class, like, about... Uh, Yeah, like Silent Spring. Yeah, no, we've and we've read, like, (coughs) just documents Mm -hmm. from, like, the 50s where they're documenting that action must be taken, like, there's Mm -hmm. an issue, and yet, like, like we've known this for so long. Yeah, and just as much as, just as much as we're prepared and we're organized, so are they, like, so is our opposition, you know? I think also (laughs) it's really interesting, like, going into, like, executive knowing what's going on, but, like, not doing anything. Um, In my environmental science class in my senior year, of high school, we talked a lot about Superfund sites, which is essentially when government, or like, um, not government, um, like private companies or establishments are dumping hazardous waste illegally, and it's contaminating groundwater, um, rivers, whatever. And so it's interesting to know that they're consciously doing it without, like, without even caring. Uh-huh. And something like There's... that happened near where I live, where <clears throat> there was a chemical company that was dumping um, these chemicals into the water, and there was a spike in leukemia in children in the area. Mm-hmm. And so, literally, once it's, like, once they're held accountable, like, it forces the companies to go bankrupt, because they're literally so, it is so draining to reverse what they've been, do- been doing. So, um, One of my first exposures to, like, client, like, I wouldn't even refer to it as climate activism, but like this active change was my my I believe it was my sixth grade science or no this was he told me about this my freshman year of high school. Um, he moved into a new house and the pipeline company was not willing to move its uh, move to extend its pipelines to go into his neighborhood. And so they were required to dig wells. However, there was another company that had the landfill uh, a couple miles away from them. And so he know- so he started talking to his neighbors, and he learned that a lot of them were getting 
sick with like cancerous cancers and and so he started to do like he used his science and his knowledge to pretty much map out where the groundwater was flowing and he found out that there was runoff from these dangerous like from this landfill that was going into their wells and that it was likely that the water company knew about it and what they said to him was okay we'll extend to your neighborhood but you can't tell anybody about this i know and that's like something and there's a landfill near my house and they were literally letting anybody dump whatever they wanted and so once they started the cleanup process some of the hazardous waste that were at the bottom it was so dangerous to try to extract it that it's literally just sitting there and people can't use their private wells anymore because it's still seeping in mm -hmm. but the process is so cost expensive and <coughs> detrimental so to start leaking that they just have to leave it and they have this clay layer essentially over where it is so it doesn't percolate above ground so so just to wrap it up because we're a little bit short on time um, I just kind of want to end with a general thought that anyone can discuss if they want, um, specifically to Jordan. Um, what impacts do you think, because we've really tailored this conversation towards youth activism, mm -hmm. and I think that's just like given the nature of the involvement that you have and also the fact that we're all college students, mm -hmm. that's just kind of where our conversation went. Um, but we did address earlier that like there are definitely other types of activism that are mm -hmm. doing important work. So what specifically do you think, or what impacts um, can youth movements have on like non-specific youth movements, and what ways can they work together and help each other? Yeah, I'm thinking, so we also have a relationship with a group called Rights and Democracy, and it's not, um, it's like another progressive org, and it's not necessarily um, youth-focused. Um, but I think, like you said, naturally, like a lot of the activism that's taking place now, they, we are youth because we are so sick of, of the current political establishment, and we are facing so many issues. I mean, we're expected to be the generation, the first generation to earn less than their parents. So, like, we're really, um, you know, growing up with a lot of problems, um, not just environmental. And I, and I wish we could talk about talk about other issues because you know, climate change is not a, is not a single issue um, right. issue. But um, so yeah, I think you know, all working together, having intergenerational, you know, interracial. Uh, you know, all different genders and backgrounds in a movement is like awesome. Does anyone else have any final thoughts on environmental activism? I, uh, what I think, I think a big issue, like I'm always so happy when I go to a climate protest mm -hmm. and I see people who aren't just youth there because mm -hmm. like as, a, as, a, as an environmental conservation sustainability mm -hmm. major yeah. that like is coming into this problem. I just look at it as like pretty much the older generation said uh, screw off we're doing it our way because it won't matter for us because in 10 years a lot of us will either like will be gone and those of us who aren't gone will be gone in the next 10 years after that mm -hmm. and so I think it the reason why it's a lot of youth movement is because there's we fate we're not there's a lot less care for future generations, and everybody's right. very centered on themselves and their generation. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I'd love to yeah. just to just say, I guess to listeners, um, that we're the generation of the Green New Deal, hopefully, and I would just encourage um, everyone listening to get out and vote for a Green New Deal champion, whoever that may be, whoever you feel that is. Um, 
because like I said before, like our lives are going to depend on this rapid transformation of our society. And that's what's so cool about the Green New Deal is that it really, um, you know, retrofitting buildings, uh, transforming our agriculture system, um, transforming our energy system. Um, we need these big changes. And that's why I just want to encourage, encourage everyone to get out and vote and uh, join us at Climate Strikes, come to meetings. Um, and can you just, can, can you just briefly um, repeat um, like how UNH students specifically can get involved? Yeah, so um, I, I would I would go through probably just social media, maybe okay. um, check out the Sunrise social media, New Hampshire Youth Movement social media, 350NH social media, because um, we don't necessarily have a specific meeting time yet, but we have events all the time. We can get you on the email list, um, you know, get you with a, uh, have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with one of our organizers, and uh, we'd love to have, we'd always love to have new members. Great. All right, so... That's about all the time we have left. Um, this has been Live Green or Fry. You can find us on YouTube and Instagram at Live Green or Fry. And you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And that's it. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.